0: Hi, I'm Alicia Abendroth, and this is Tridge Agri-Insider, your Agri-Food for Thought podcast where we talk about anything and everything agri-food supply chain, brought to you by Tridge. On today's episode of Agri-Insider, Louisa sheds light on the critical role information and collaboration play in shaping the future of the agri-food industry. As head of media and research at AgFunder, an Agri-focused VC, Louisa embraces the principles of journalistic integrity, making sense of vast amount of information to deliver truth to the industry. Her high-level views on topics such as investor money, cancel culture, and food tech trends are definitely worth the listen. Hi, Louisa. It's so nice to have you with us today on Agri Insider. Welcome. How are you doing this morning?
1: Yeah, great, thank you. Thanks very much for having me.
0: It's a complete pleasure. Well, we're really excited to actually speak with you here at Tridge and at Agri Insider. You have an extremely interesting background and a pretty cool couple of projects you're working on, um, which we're going to get into a little bit later. So I thought just to get going and to start, maybe just tell us a bit about yourself, um, you know, who you are, what makes you Louisa um, and what you do.
1: Um, so I am a financial journalist by background. Um, I won't tell you how many years because that will show my age. But <laughs> I turned my attention to agriculture investment ten years ago now. So I was covering different different markets, sort of equities, bonds. I lived in Asia for a few years, worked at the Financial Times, and I was kind of transitioning back to the UK for a short period, looking for my next. Next job. And um, there was an opportunity to be the founding editor of Agri Investor, which was the first publication ever to focus on investment in agriculture for this company called Private Equity International. And as soon as I looked into the sector, I was just immediately kind of hooked and, and super excited about it. So I did that for about 18 months and then joined AgFunder in 2015 and uh, moved out to the States for a few years. Um, moved back to the UK since then, and here I am back in London.
0: Fantastic. So your official title is a financial journalist, if I understood correctly.
1: Well, that's my career, yeah. My title at AgFunder, I'm now the head of media and research. So AgFunder has three departments. One is investment, and we have venture capital funds. One is our engineering department, uh, where we are using code to help source deals. Um, and then the third one is our content and community. And that's our AgFunder News, our news site, and our research platform. And that's Amazing. what I run.
0: Amazing. You run, So you run the actual news and insights platform. And we'll get into some of that um, a bit later. But I wanted to back up a second. So you had discussed or you were mentioning that you kind of found agriculture. I guess agriculture found you—and you and you found the industry extremely exciting. And it kind of mm. grabbed you in um you know what what was it back then when you made this career move into agriculture that kind of drove your passion or or got you excited about the industry
1: yeah I think it was because it was actually something tangible you know I mean I know that a lot of people agriculture feels like it's a million miles away from them but when you actually start to just dig in slightly below the surface you realize obviously this is how we eat every day and this is um relevant to the whole world and there's so much that's important to it climate change geopolitics I mean just absolutely tons of um other factors are influencing what happens in this industry and having come from writing about kind of the the stock market and bonds where it's like deals based and you know it kind of became a bit repetitive you'd have a different name on it but it would be kind of similar kind of type of reporting and so on um this just was just so exciting and I just could to like talk to my family and friends about it and so on and they all thought originally that I'll be writing about fertilizers <laughs> I think when they thought about agriculture reporting they're thinking about like commodities you know pricing reports and so on and I get that that's what they thought it might be because I was you know did come from kind of a trade uh, journalism background um, but yeah I mean it was just so exciting immediately and and even in the beginning I was writing about investment into farmland and it wasn't necessarily the tech piece but I still you know it was just at the back of end of the global financial crisis and uh, you know the lack of correlation between agriculture assets and farmland with public markets was super interesting so it sounded defensive so it just sort of made sense for for me to dive in there and then here I am 10 years later
0: still here so still here yeah thankfully um would you say that those kind of same i guess and you talked a lot about you know some of the macroeconomic events happening at the time um would you say that those same factors or or um i guess passions even are still what drive you to get up in the morning today or has that changed for you slightly
1: Oh I mean definitely I mean every day is a learning day what's you know about with food and agriculture I don't I think it's impossible to be an expert in this space because not only is it hugely different depending on where you are in the world There are multiple different crop types, multiple different things that are being produced, uh, multiple different processes. I mean, the science behind everything is it's completely different. So you could be an expert in corn, but absolutely not be an expert in wheat. You know, that's just two two crops. So I feel like I'm learning all the time, which is fantastic. But then that's just on the agriculture side. And then if you flip to the technology side and look at all these amazing new innovations that are coming through that are constantly changing and things look different today than they did uh, 10 years ago on the technology side. So it, um, yeah, just keeps on going and keeps on <laughs> bearing new fruits for me to learn about. But I mean, I would say, you know, that that does, you know, obviously gets me up in the morning, but also working with nice people and chatting to my great colleagues and being in the industry, you know, being in a job where I can just talk to people <laughs> all day if I want to, ask lots of questions. Um, yeah, and just generally enjoy the industry. I think it's a really nice place to work.
0: i I agree with you i think um, you know i've met some of the most genuine and just also clued up people uh in my life through agriculture i think there's some really brilliant and just versatile minds in this industry so that that really resonates with me um you know the agriculture industry definitely has a few gems in it like yourself that uh deserve spotlight and are just fun to chat with like you said i mean you can mm-hmm. just go on and on there's so many topics um, and so much learning we can do from each other um so tell us a bit about ag funder what what do you do as an organization uh, where are you guys kind of positioned in the agri food space
1: yeah so we are a venture capital firm um, we were born online so 10 years ago our founders robert Clare and michael dean wanted to essentially bring more investment into food and agriculture, as well as promote kind of innovation um, that was taking place in the industry. It was very, very nascent. And we were seeing a lot of innovation going on in all these other industries and not particularly in agriculture. But so they realized that they needed to educate um, people about this opportunity that was in the space. So they created the media platform, including AgFunder News, to be like a tech crunch for agriculture. Um, realizing that that would kind of get people excited and and showcase what was going on. And that's kind of where I came in to to run that and to build that out. And then a few years down the line, we then decided to start launching uh, venture capital funds. And our first funds actually were, were micro funds. And we went out to our network that we built through the news, through the newsletter, we had a network, I think around then, of about 50,000 subscribers, okay. if I'm not mistaken. And we went out to them. Um, and, you know, a lot of like entrepreneurs in the space, executives from the large food and agriculture companies who've been reading us, who've been speaking with us. They all, they all threw in a bit of money for the first funds. And it really kind of got its start there. Things have, um, you know, absolutely kind of uh, snowballed since then. And so we are currently about to close our fourth fund um, on $100 million. So very different from that first one, which was about 2 million. Um, so, yes, yeah, so our primary business is venture capital. But as I said, we have this media and research arm. We produce research reports all about investment into agri-food tech, which is all ag tech and food tech. Um, we have partners that come on board for those. We have our news platform. And then we have this um, quite involved engineering department as well. But the primary business is venture capital. And I think for a long time, people didn't necessarily know that, <laughs> but I think they probably do today. We've made about 60 investments globally. Sixty
0: investments globally. Okay, so what kind of um, projects are are you at AgFunder working on? I mean, uh, well I guess before we go into the projects you're working on, where is AgFunder placing its money at the moment? Just kind of high level.
1: Um, yeah, good question. So, I mean, it is everywhere. I mean, it's all farm to fork. So our funds have have really invested, you know, all the way from um, soil microbiome research technologies up to. Uh, quick service restaurant kiosk technologies. So it's really everything um, in between. Some of the key themes that we are excited about today include um, food as medicine, looking at ways that the plant kingdom can um, help to aid in certain disease. We've got one company called Brightseed that is doing that um, with some chronic illness like diabetes and fatty liver disease. They've discovered these phytonutrients within, within everyday crops like black pepper that can aid with those another one is looking at the way that food can impact cancer and the growth of tumors and how um a sure prescription of certain food types could actually help the death rate of, of 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 treatments like chemotherapy it's amazing so certain foods could help a tumor grow or shrink um, so food medicine is very exciting and i think um it's actually still quite a small category um, decarbonization i mean that's you know that's obviously a lot of people are focused on that but there's uh, you know a very big link um, between the agriculture industry and carbon emissions both on yeah well, on the emission side and the potential on the sequestration side too. So there's a lot of different approaches on carbonization, uh, artificial intelligence across the board. Um, let me think. Oh, robotics. I mean, we've made, we've made quite a few investments in the robotics space. Um, we actually had our, one of our first exits was in robotics. A company called Bear Flag Robotics was acquired by John Deere for $250 million. So it's like one of the biggest exits in our industry, which is very exciting. Uh, and there's just, you know, very clear reasons for needing robotics, the labor challenges globally. But it also could be seen um, in many ways as a, a climate technology if it's helping to far more precisely so those are just a few, but I mean, it really is um, farm to fork.
0: Brilliant. Um, and congrats again on your most recent funding round to you and the team. That's 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 amazing. Um, so let's get into what you do. So we've uh, I mean, got the funding arm, you're sitting in the media arm, you've worked on some really amazing projects. I mean, I love your work. I love following AgFunder. Um, I think it's a great... Uh, tool to use to stay up to date especially on the innovation space Um, you know maybe just highlight a little bit what does your day-to-day look like and then I also have some questions for you on some of the more specific content you've released recently
1: oh great Um, yeah my day-to-day I mean it's a bit it's a bit sort of mental at the moment I feel like I'm like pulled in many many directions so currently we are working on our Africa investment report uh, that is coming out next week. Um, and so we dig into our database. We look at all the investments that went into across the African continent last year and the first half of this year and pull out some trends um, that we can see in terms of where investors are placing bets, or where they're not placing bets. So I'm currently trying to finalize that report, looking at the content, approving the graphics and uh, checking all the data and so on. And then still working on a... Um, a new project for us, which is a partnership with INSEAD, the European Business School and Agrohub, which is a data platform out of Ukraine. And we are putting together the first ever food and agriculture focused leadership program with INSEAD, it's called the Future Food and Agriculture Leadership Program. And that's gonna take place next month in France at INSEAD on the campus, it's a three-day program. And we're also doing an online webinar as part of that as well. So, I've been working on um, kind of that, uh, attendees coming to that, working on the programming for the webinar. Um, you know, we're not really an events business, but you know, we do have some quite questions. So that's looking quite exciting. Uh, then there's also the day-to-day running of the new site, which I'm the, um, you know, the editor of. I have two fantastic reporters that work for me, Elaine Watson and Jen Marston. So they pretty much are self-sufficient, they're fantastic. But if they ever need me to come in and check everything, we, you know, everyone edits each other. So um, just making sure things ticking along nicely there which it usually is and then you know it might be I've just heard from one someone on our investment team that um, they've made a new investment we never actually know about investments until they've actually been made and it's okay. we try to kind of keep that sort of Chinese wall um, so we just heard about new investments so that will be we will might um, help the company that has closed the round help them with their press release Obviously we have that expertise, we can help them to do that. We will also want to write an article about them on AgFundon News. Um, So yeah, that's a little sampling of what I'm working on today.
0: Thank you for that. No, those are all really exciting projects. Uh, your investment reports are really good. Um, I don't know who Thank does your you. graphics as well, but <laughs> That's
1: Katie. Yes, Katie's amazing. Our design. Yeah, yeah. They're they're just yeah.
0: so easy to digest. Cause I think sometimes when you hear the word investment report, you go, Oh no, it's gonna yeah, be Yeah, I know,
1: this. yawn fest. Yeah. <laughs>
0: But you actually create some pretty easy to digest content with some great imagery and, um, you know, little blurbs. Yeah,
1: yeah, well, we had an update actually on the design um, a year ago. So it was okay. the Africa report last year, which was the first time we had that new design. And you know, sometimes when you're like in the weeds of producing reprodu- these reports, and we were doing it all ourselves. I mean, we were just doing it in PowerPoint before. So having done that for seven years, just doing it like that, um, it was definitely due a refresh. But you just kind of, once you're in the weeds, you're working with the data, you're working on the insights, you just don't have the brain capacity to then think about how to analyze it. And I just, it's, I'm just so glad that we've, we've been able to bring that recently great
0: no it's 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 great especially because we're in such a competition for attention nowadays so um, yeah you know even in agriculture you have to make things uh easy to digest and, and read so speaking of kind of uh investment reports you recently released your 2023 agri food tech investment report uh in the report and i just pulled this fact you stated that global agri food tech funding total 2.9 uh or 29 uh billion in 2022 a forty-four percent year-over-year decline.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: can you shed a bit more light on why that is?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is not unique to food and agriculture technologies. This happened across uh, technology sectors. There was a decline around that around that kind of mark for thirty to forty percent mark, um, and it's basically it's based on uh, correction in valuations. Largely, um, there was you know a lot of cheap money. Uh, for for several years that were pushing uh, investment sizes up. And 2021 was a record-breaking year, again, across all sectors in agriculture, in food and agriculture, it was nearly $52 billion of funding. But then, you know, you've had all these kind of macroeconomic pressures like the Ukraine war, uh, inflation, continued supply chain disruptions from COVID, um, which has kind of created this unusual situation we're in now where, it, you know, it feels like we're in... Down market, um, but not necessarily a depression. You know, it's a kind of tricky one there. So I think a lot of a lot of venture capitalists are just becoming more cautious. They are being much more conservative about the valuations. They're much more focused on um, profitability. So we've gone from this era of growth at all costs. So just throw them loads of money, and they spend all of that money on just growing. So that doesn't necessarily mean growing profit. It means kind of just make growing their market size or growing their reach, uh, growing their customer base, and then then kind of focusing later on bringing in the revenues. That's shift now. And, and a lot of investors now are wanting to see revenues as soon as possible. Um, so they're just being more cautious. The deal sizes were smaller, but there were also fewer deals were closed. Uh, we started to see failures now coming in as a result of that. Companies are going out of business because they're actually unable to raise funding rounds. Uh, certainly not at the valuations from before, but maybe not even at all. Uh, maybe they just haven't shown the traction for kind of the stage of maturity they're at now. So, yeah, so it's an interesting time. I mean, it's never great to kind of write like a, you know, have a like a sort of negative um, headline like that. But I think it's actually going to be a great thing for the industry. I think some more realism is very, very important. Um, and in this industry, it's, it's you know, very, very hard to disrupt or transform such a state and and kind of traditional industry. I think it's proving a little bit harder than many thought, potentially. Um, but I think this is a great thing. I think it's going to be more discipline and companies are really going to focus on adding value.
0: So is it safe to say that you think that, you know, a bit more, um, you know, and I had someone on and it's making, it's reminding me of them a, a couple of podcasts ago and he said, you know, entries to barrier are, uh, or barriers to entry are actually a good thing. They create Um, they weed out the people who actually are there for the right reasons and who are actually going to pull through and make something happen. Right. So kind of what you're describing is, is that dynamic as well as, you know, you're you're not going to just get investment by putting together a a nice pitch deck and having a, a a good story, right. It's now going to actually come down to, can you execute, can you become self-sufficient you know, can you actually bring impact to the industry Um, So, I mean, even though, you know, and and again, you come from also finance background, decline is like this no-go word, right? We don't like to hear that, but it's sounding like in the midst of decline, there could be some silver linings.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a really good point that your guest made. Um, I'm trying to remember something that was shared on our company Slack, but it was around like kind of going after mediocre, realistic uh sort of expectations in terms of your business there's way more competition there Whereas if you shoot for something completely unrealistic or completely hard to reach many fewer people are going to be doing that and that's where you can have real success you know i think so you know weeding out mediocrity um i think you're absolutely right
0: yeah. So very, a very competitive landscape is what it sounds like as well. So a time to really roll up the sleeves and, and double down on what's been working. And, and um, we can get into kind of what you'd recommend for some startups, uh, maybe down the road. But one thing I wanted to touch on, too. So, you know, you talked about the high level trend of decline. We talked about um, there's those still being a lot of opportunity in that space. Uh, and, you know, that also being a, an opportunity to to perform and and essentially stand out from, from the mediocrity. Um, are there any sectors or subsectors, let's say, in the kind of food agri-space that are actually gaining traction despite this general decline?
1: Yeah, so last year um, there was an increase in four categories, which are all kind of climate-related. So I mean, guess no surprises there. And I will say that actually on the global Multi-sector sort of BC stage climate tech investing did increase um, in 2022, and so those those areas were novel farming systems, which includes indoor agriculture, uh, which is quite surprising. And I'm not sure if we're going to see that uh, that trend continue this year because there had been quite a few failures there. Um, that category was certainly in a hype cycle, um, but bioenergy and biomaterials. I think biomaterials is super interesting and exciting when you think if you're into fashion, um, because there's a lot of new materials that are being developed on the fashion side, which is very exciting. Um, Then ag biotech. I mean, this is, you know, this is a very broad category that includes technologies around seeds, gene editing, but also biologicals, um, you know, alternatives to synthetic pesticides and and fertilizers um, which is really gaining traction and what's interesting there is that it's not just about the promise of those technologies you're actually seeing that translating into people using them on the field Um, which has taken some years to happen but I I read something recently about some very interesting results from one of the leaders in that space pivot bio Uh, and I do think that um, they are actually getting onto acreage in real terms (laughs) because often you hear these startups sort of kind of pitch their kind of progress. And it's these the way they kind of caveat these numbers is that we have so many farmers in our network, but it doesn't mean it's actually like being used on the farm. So it sounds like anyway, these these kind of biological tools are actually now starting to be used um, with some with some effect. And then um, farm management software sensing and IoT. So that's basically digital agriculture. And that's been one of the first sort of ag tech categories out there, which is using sensors and um, data insights to help um, farmers farm more efficiently. Um, You could put it into kind of the precision agriculture category. But again, that's, you know, climate related because it can help them to potentially utilize less water, utilize um, less uh, fertilizer and so on do variable rate mapping and so on so those categories had an increase in investment i mean it'd be interesting to see if that continues this year and if they have you know proven to be kind of defensive uh but i think that sort of climate angle for food and agriculture amazingly it's it's just sort of coming through and people are realizing that connection
0: yeah and in fact i mean i I would say one thing I've noticed in my own circles in the last year or so, there's definitely been a climate hype. Uh, In fact, I was speaking to Um, a um, gentleman who's in the VC space. And he said to, I mean, you almost have to have this climate narrative in your company portfolio today. There has to be something that you're doing that's actually helping Mm -hmm. um, impact the environment in a positive way. And I think you've seen a lot of marketing campaigns shift in this direction. You're seeing many more people trying to integrate Um, um, you know, climate narratives into climate initiatives into their um, into their companies. And I I mean, I don't know what to think of it. Sometimes I think it can be so far fetched. I mean, people go 10 steps around the block to try to make to try to make connections. But what you're describing is the cause of it. Right. You fall. You know, people follow where the money is. And if the money is going to climate related investments, um it's no surprise right that they're going to be adding these dialogues.
1: um. I know what you're saying about people pivoting into climate um and it's been quite sort of frustrating to see in many ways you're absolutely right um greenwashing is essentially what it is calling yourself a climate tech tool when you are not one uh, so yeah that that's something to kind of watch out for and but I mean something I've been slightly disappointed about is I've seen a few companies maybe on the media side or the investment side broaden out their their scope to be more climate um, and it makes me feel like they're just not getting enough traction whether it's investment or um customers with it when it's just focused on food and agriculture and one of my kind of bugbears is that this is still such a small industry i mean certainly it's grown okay 50 billion dollars of investment last year that you know uh, the year before you know that's a lot of investment that's great but last year it was the same amount of investment that went into crypto <laughs> crypto startups and like what is the you know i mean think about like the difference in terms of impact and, and relevance to humankind uh why is it still so small um and i do worry about that because know in the beginning we kind of saw exponential growth in the first couple of years but then it it stopped being exponential Uh, i'm talking about in terms of investment so um yeah i don't really i don't really know what the reason is for that um i wonder sometimes if it's if it's quite complex or you know it's it's a difficult one to assess you don't have uh, very core customers in each situation like consumer technologies do uh maybe that it's hard to value i mean it's so diverse as i mentioned to you you know what's going on in corn is different to what's going on in wheat or 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 whatever so that that, that doesn't you know i'm not really kind of doing a service to to investors out there i'm sure they're all very, very highly intelligent and could get a grasp of this of this topic but maybe they just don't have the appetite to and it's easier to be investing in other markets
0: i agree with you i think um, and I, I don't know if you have any kind of historical data on when even any investment started flowing toward agriculture, because I remember even, you know, 10 years ago, it was pretty tough to get people to turn investors or, you know, VC space to turn their head toward anything agri. Um, and now, you know, at least you're seeing and, I, and, you know, a really good case study for this is I was at an event in Frankfurt. Um, a couple of months ago called Future Farming. And Frankfurt is the finance capital of Europe, right? And the fact that we had a uh, ag tech event, Future Farming in the Mm, finance capital of Europe, that kind of gave me goosebumps because I thought, well, this is a sign, right? Finally, this sector is kind of gaining traction. Um, Mm. But you're, you're right. I mean, I think it's a completely new trend and maybe it's just, you know, maybe climate's helping it become trendy. So maybe we have to thank, some of the sustainability push that's happened in the last two to three years for um, more agricultural investments. But you're absolutely right. What you said about, um, you know, this is the industry that is so critical for humankind. Uh, why is it getting the same amount of investment as um, crypto, which is also critical? I mean, finance is critical as well, but it doesn't, you know, none of this functions without full bellies and a, and a functioning planet. So um, I, I do think sometimes, and I ask myself this question as well, you know, how do we recreate the narrative around agriculture so that it does become a more interesting industry to be in, despite, you know, a lot of the things that probably were off-putting, like, uh, the fact that, you know, you're dealing with mother nature and mother nature is extremely volatile and you can't control her, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. a closed system. So, yeah. um,
1: I mean, you, there, know. you know, there were sectors, there are sectors that have grabbed the sort of more general public interest, uh, such as alternative meat mm-hmm. and indoor, you know, vertical farming. Uh, but then they, they got into these hype cycles and money flooded in. Some call it dumb money, I think that's a bit rude, but maybe it was dumb money. (laughs) But imagine a lot of like venture capital kind of sheep all running into these deals, pushing these valuations up. And at the end of the day, it was too early, like they weren't good enough. And these products came out onto the market and consumers tried them, like loads of consumers tried them, but ultimately they weren't sticky. Uh, people didn't want to carry on eating them you know they had terrible aftertaste, or too salty or that's my my own personal <laughs> experience with a lot of them um, and then similarly with vertical farming I think a lot of money went in and it was super exciting and it was kind of sci-fi and it felt like something that you could control so I think that was probably interesting in terms of venture capital because you could you could kind of predict out these growing cycles are going to be so much quicker than they would be in outdoor agriculture. So you can kind of see how revenues would come in and so on. And and iteration cycles could be quicker, but ultimately the economics were still far away. Um, Energy prices were so high and it was very hard to, to, it's very hard to be a farming business. I mean, Mm -hmm. you have some catastrophes in some of these vertical farms with uh, outbreaks of, of pests or other types of crop disease and so on um from contamination so so yeah so those did get did get people excited and usually when I tell people what I do who aren't in my industry I will talk about those things because then they'll be like oh cool you know because they've heard about it and it sounds like a climate tech thing I'm probably not going to tell them um about like the soil microbe (laughs) research tools out there because get them as exciting as excited um so yeah i mean i think i think it's we're getting there but i I, yeah i just still am amazed that there's not more people that want to come into this industry
0: yeah and it's like you said the iteration cycles the scalability those are the things people look for and um you know one thing i talk about in, in in a lot of circles too is how do we kind of create some of that systems level change because sometimes the system that we've created incentivizes great things, but doesn't always incentivize correctly. So I think part of the, the answer to what you're stating, um, as a problem, right. Is, is going to be in kind of a systems level restructure or something looking at, um, you know, what are the real problems in agriculture and how do we still incentivize some sort of solutions for them? Um, so you actually wrote an article kind of about this complexity in the ag tech space in the kind of, um, agri modern agri food space today it's called letter from the great food fight uh, which is a great title by the way and it highlights a lot of these absurd dynamics we're speaking about today right which is um kind of these these complexities and the incentive the um, incentives behind making certain decisions and everyone coming to the table with their own opinions and almost like well you, you said it right a food fight of throwing Throwing their 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 elbows out or throwing their lunch meat at at, at the competitors, right? So, right,
1: right. Um,
0: can you just shed a little bit more light on that article? I mean, what what was kind of your key takeaway? When you
1: wrote that, and I think it probably has a lot to do what we're talking about currently. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was an <laughs> it was an interesting article. I've had like mixed feedback on it, and I think you know, I mean, it almost was probably like too nuanced to kind of put out there because I think Pete, some people misunderstood what I was saying. It's absolutely not against competition. I mean, competition is is in human nature. Uh, it's in the natural world. Everyone competes for, for food, for mates, you know, whatever. I think competition is highly important uh, to to progress. A society, um, not just in business. So, first of all, it's not that, but I think it's about kind of civil debate, and it's also about um, it's about not it's about council culture. I think council culture has basically found its way into the agri food tech industry, and whether you know whether you are um, on the organic side of things, the regenerative side, the indoor ag side, the plant-based meat, uh, livestock industry, regen ag, everyone's kind of coming at things from different angles. And I've just noticed this discourse online and particularly on LinkedIn, but it's also, you know, in person and and verbally too, where people are so impassioned that their approach is the right the only right approach, mutually exclusive that they will not listen or engage with other people. And I think it's it's just unhelpful um, when you're looking at such a massive and diverse industry, as I've said, that, that there's obviously space for multiple different approaches. Um, and it's also so early on in the discovery and, and, and look at some of these that to kind of completely count them out um, feels you know, unsensible. Um, And so looking at the unintended consequences of certain technologies too and having that kind of blinkered vision of this is the only way things are going to be um I think is unhelpful so it's you know it's really cool for everyone to kind of be more open-minded and actually engage in debate and discussion with others because I actually think from those conversations um you never know what what it could spark uh you know and often as you see is one man's waste is another man's treasure and so on so you might actually have people collaborating from opposite sides of uh, of the spectrum you know maybe it's the livestock industries collaborating with the um the cultivated meat industry uh so yeah that's basically where it was and a lot of people I've been mean, having this conversation with people and people just getting so fed up with with how people were behaving towards each other um and just so aggressive and another thing i was thinking was and again i don't know it's just a hypothesis is that maybe you sometimes have people from outside the industry looking in And like seeing all this crazy infighting and then they're like, okay, I'm out. (laughs) I'm not going to dive, in, I'm not going to get involved in this. Like they don't even seem to know what they're doing. So um, yeah, so that's kind of where it came from. I mean, maybe it's a bit naive, but I, you know, I think that people can, um, should present themselves better, honestly, and and be more open-minded.
0: No, and and I think it's because, and I think, I mean, when I step into like the tech space, you almost get this like, tech guy, right? I mean, everyone has them in their mind, but when you step into agriculture and ag tech, it's like this complete contrast between, um, you know, what farming is. I mean, I grew up on a farm. I worked on a farm, right? Like I've met the people who are actually making this industry happen, feeding the world. Right. And then what the tech guys, you know, see in their perceptions of the world. And I mean, that alone is this extremely, big tension point. And then you've got things like these traditional industries like dairy, which have been around for hundreds of thousands of years. Right. And then suddenly we've got almond milk coming in the market and, you know, and these are just really blatant dynamics. But I think there's a lot of tension here. And I'm glad that you wrote this article in the sense that I think people do need to kind of overcome their biases in this industry and start to come to the table and kind of like you said learn from each other um and create an environment of uh open innovation um yeah it's critical Um, i
1: mean they just need to be realistic as well i mean you know if you are a dairy farmer and you know it's a, it's a very, very hard industry to be working in. Some hats off to you if you are. But, you, you know, you have to come to this realisation that there is a decline in, in demand for milk in many parts of the world. And it's not necessary that they're being replaced by the plant-based alternatives, by the way. I think people are just generally drinking less milk, having less cereal or whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> but I think it's just, you got to, whatever sector we're looking at, you've got to just have this realism that that um, that things are changing and things are shifting and that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I totally understand though, like it, it, of course it makes sense to be defensive of that. And you know, I would be too. So, you know, it's very difficult for me to say, stop being defensive of like your livelihood. Right. Um, but I think there's ways to conduct yourself. You could still be defensive, um, but do so in, in a bit more of an open-minded manner. But again, maybe I'm being naive. <laughs>
0: No, and and I think uh, I don't think you're being naive at all. I think um, people should put out some uh, concepts of the way they think the world should be, even if they're a bit utopian, because we want to make the world a better place. Right. That's why we're doing this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what I just, also, like, I just it, yeah. sorry. It
1: got, it got, it got yeah. a bit like personal for me in a way, because one of my reporters, Elaine, Like it was almost like every single article that she would put up on LinkedIn that she'd written about, someone would troll it just for the sake of it, because it was about the plant-based industry or something. She'd always get these few trolls. It's always the same. And you're not, they're not adding anything to this discussion. They're just being negative um, and nasty and trying to kind of cancel her. And then people are blocking each other on LinkedIn and so on. I mean, it's just pathetic
0: it's pathetic and and i think <laughs> like you said cancel culture is i one of the scariest things in our time because it's not far from uh, censorship in some ways, right? I mean, that line can be blurred pretty quickly. Well, you
1: get nervous to write anything. I mean, I Mm -hmm. get nervous any time to write an op-ed on whatever topic. I mean, this one I was definitely nervous about, but anything you're worried about what you're gonna say because someone might come at you. And because agriculture is so complicated, you worry that you're gonna sound stupid and say something in like, you phrase something wrongly. And I have to say, sometimes I think that the farming community has not been helpful here because you know you very much if you're not in in you're not a farmer in the club you feel kind of silly saying things about growing seasons or I don't know what it is like applications of this I'm like oh my god have I said it in the right way you know and I think and and people like give you a funny look and say oh she doesn't know anything about it and I think that's uh, that's unhelpful too like we need to be you know welcoming across the whole thing um and help educate people on this
0: There's a ton of prejudice in this industry. I mean, there's people who've been doing or been in agriculture, multi-generational businesses that, you know, still poo-poo the thought of getting a higher education to be in this business. Right. And I think that there's so much reshaping and rethinking um, about the way agriculture looks. I mean, a discussion I I used to have with my dad was, you know, the modern farmer won't be that guy who's just, you know, in the dirt with a shovel. In fact, they're not anymore. I just saw a picture on my LinkedIn before this call of the, the modern, the inside of a modern cab, right. Modern tractor cab. I mean, it is deck. It looks like a pilot, uh, pilot, yeah. uh, you know, cab. Basically, now it's it's just decked out with electronics and this and that. And you know, the future is going to be the the guy with the iPad, right? Um, so I think or it already is here. That future is already here, right? So I think the industry is slowly catching up, but absolutely some of these really. Tra- I mean, I've had this happen to myself as well. Some of these really traditional players, they don't always know what to. Do with something so new and avant garde, mm. and, and this and these changes yeah. kind of scare them, right? So, it's this is a topic we could probably talk oh, about. We can
1: keep going, yeah. I, mean, I, I was just going to say, you know, I, I, but I also totally get it from the farmer's standpoint. You have these entrepreneurs for silica Valley knocking on their door, being like, We've got a tool that's going to save the world, right. as you're going to get this, and they're like, You literally have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and you have no experience. This is the first time you've been on a farm, so I do get it from the other side, uh, right. yeah.
0: Yeah. No. It, 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 and I think that's the biggest problem with the startups coming full circle to what you were saying earlier about, you know, why do people not invest is because there is that big gap there. And at the end of the day, if you're trying to sell to farmers, it's not easy because they have already a massive portfolio of risk, right? They're managing mm-hmm. a ton of risk. And if you come in, even if it's going to help the bottom line and do all these things, if they change their way of working uh, to integrate, you know, a new solution or technology, and then suddenly, I don't know. The funding dries up. <laughs> you know, these are the realities. They they're they they do not want to always take that that risk, and with good reason, right? They're dealing with climate risk. They're dealing with uh, payment risk. They're dealing with payment terms. They're dealing with you know and um, shipments going wrong, and then they're being claimed, right? It's just it's a risky business. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's, it is justified some of those those reservations. Um, and again, it comes back to systems level change, in my opinion. We're going to have to look at how do we create new um, incentive structures uh, to kind of fight fight some of these these problems yeah well and
1: that's where the collaboration piece comes back and you know although I'm like you know definitely think competition um is is important collaboration is going to be important if you're going to if you're going to have systems level systems level change uh because there's just so many pieces of the industry that will need to be changed so um so I think I do think collaboration is is important in certain in certain aspects Right.
0: I agree. I agree. So, you know, we've kind of already been talking about some of the trends that have you concerned in terms of, you know, if we don't collaborate more, you know, that could change the, the, the way uh, the, the agriculture industry evolves. But, you know, I'm sure you have other topics. This industry is filled with um, issues and, and, and kind of dilemmas worth discussing Um, Maybe there's some other trends that have you concerned at the moment. Uh, You have a pretty broad scope, so I'm I'm sure there's something there.
1: Oh, okay. I mean, gosh, yeah. I mean, so the health crisis, the health crisis globally, um, the obesity levels in countries like the UK and the US, uh, chronic disease. uh, Is it like 85 percent of Americans are are deemed metabolically unhealthy? 85 percent so I think our relationship to food is is absolutely terrible um you know I don't necessarily blame the system I mean we fed the world we've like decreased hunger in in many ways but people the food is making them sick and I think America really is starting to show I mean I lived there for five years and my husband and I are feeling so much better just generally since we've moved back I hear of a lot of people that move that go there on trips and somehow the food is making them sick and I'm not really sure necessarily what it is. Uh, I think you know recently I've been on a bit of a, a journey myself with food and looking at what kind of foods impact me and which ones don't and I have never felt better. Um, I wake up in the morning and I don't feel sick. <laughs> I wake up feeling good. So like there's there's so much that could be researched on that front and that is, I just find it quite a scary uh, development especially when you're seeing a lot of Americanized foods going to all parts of the world um so you know which are displacing some more like local local foods um in in parts of emerging emerging markets um so that's a big one i think diet related illness uh, is is a huge concern and then i mean obviously you know we could talk about climate change until we're blue in the face obviously um you know what's going on there is is a concern and how are we actually going to transition um food production to better practices. And what is what is better practices? I still think that we don't necessarily know exactly how things should be done. Uh, I think, you know, there's kind of urgency to this work um, that people are bringing to it. But I think um, it's still very much early days in knowing what kind of uh, food system we want to have looks like. Because even, you know, with regenerative agriculture, it's, you know, it's exciting. There's someone said the other day, there's a wall of capital coming into regenerative agriculture. And a lot of corporations have kind of co-opted this as something they're doing. A lot of financial institutions have also got a lot of money behind this. And um, there's the development of natural capital. Uh, and, you know, that's very uh, exciting as someone who's tracked the regen, regen movement for 10 years now. Um, however, what that looks like and is it actually being done in a way that is suitable to that exact place globally? Is it definitely going to be benefit the local communities? Um, is it somehow going to be co-opted um, in a negative way by local corporations? And you know, I think there's, there's some, some big question marks there. Um, sounds a bit conspiracy theorist, but you you just kind of never know. And with, with an industry that is controlled by a handful of companies or two handfuls of companies globally, um, it's something worth kind of thinking about.
0: Yeah, and it is hard to weed through the vast amount of information. I mean, I'm equally very invested in this industry, very passionate about this industry and research it a lot. But I do struggle also to say, okay, well, we know we need some sort of change, right, for the planet, for soil health, for the environment, right? But what, what does that change look like? And how much is this narrative controlled by the big corporations and how much of it is real, right? And and kind of are the proposed changes um, really what would create the largest impact? I mean, I, I just watched a documentary uh, called Seaspiracy, which I'll, I won't go into, because again, that's also a could be considered a conspiracy, but you know, they talked about how everyone was obsessed with straws, right? The plastic straw yeah. and yeah, we all yeah. wanted to ban straws or we did really, right? Like I, I can't get a straw, plastic straw anymore at McDonald's. I have to have a paper straw, which is fine. Um, But this guy basically uncovered and said straws are like 0.001% of sea plastic pollution. The real problem is fishermen just throwing their nets when they're done into the ocean and them just being there and trapping these turtles and you know whatnot um and he kind of highlights all this but you know again that though is completely covered up by big industry they don't showcase (laughs) yeah yeah it's
1: like which problems do they kind of allow to be in the limelight and they're like right we're gonna get behind this um yeah i mean i i was i was in spain on holiday this this year and we were taken out on a boat by this guy who'd been um the captain of big fishing vessels for many many years um, and he says that the fish are just all gone. Uh, there used to be octopus on the rocks, and now they're like miles away out at sea, if you can find them at all. And it's because of all the basically the dredging, um, essentially, and like scooping up everything from the ocean. And people don't talk about it so much. So yeah, they all get behind the straws, but they don't talk about that. Um, which yeah, which is terrifying. So That's what I mean. Like, are we going after the right, the right uh, focus areas? Or is it just what's uh, We're allowed to or, or hyped up right. or what's in the news cycle? You know, the news cycle could be very helpful. And I was talking about, you know, the interest, public interest in vertical farming and, and all protein. But a lot of that was, was media folks like me uh, writing these kind of excited articles about these, about these industries. But a lot of, you know, food and agriculture is not sexy, I suppose. So writing about dredging boats, is that going to get people to read it? I mean, I don't know. Uh, So that's kind of coming back to that piece about this not being in the sort of um, people being interested in this industry as much as maybe they should, because that might limit how much we can get some of these more niche and kind of uncovered issues within the industry kind of out into the public.
0: But that's why we need people like you and your team who are going to make it sexy, because, you know, if you can find the right narrative around even the the fishing dilemma, right? I mean, fishing is a form of farming. We don't consider it. Somehow fishing Mm lives in its own space, but it's a way to eat. We all eat food or fish or most people eat fish, right? It's a part of our diet. Um, you know, but it's about creating a narrative that speaks to the average consumer. I mean, killing dolphins, that's extremely sad, right? That should speak to a lot of people. And I think it's finding that also in traditional agriculture, yeah. um, you know, around uh, different policies and things as well to, to kind of create the right um, narrative, but also to create it with the right intention. Because one thing you see too is, you know, people will create this um, narrative about, uh, let's say, animal husbandry, right? And it can completely, though, take an industry into a direction that it actually wasn't meant to go. And you suddenly you're overregulated and you're no longer being able to produce. And suddenly all these, uh, I don't know, dairy farms are having to shut down due to new animal regulations, which we're seeing in Germany, by the way, uh, that they can that make them no longer profitable. Right. So it's this kind of using the voice that you have to. Uh, make the changes that uh, are going to have the right impact and I think that's a lot of responsibility for you when I'm saying it out loud <laughs> well,
1: thanks seriously. for that yeah thank, thank you for that uh, but you know I, I do hope kind of that we I mean I know that we have you know um, spurred people to come into this sector by reading AgFunder news and so on and I hope that, that that continues but you're right maybe we need to do a better job of actually unearthing some of these Uh, challenges that are not being addressed um, Mm -hmm. for innovators to come and to come and try and build solutions on. And I, you know, I'm a techno-optimist and I am generally an optimistic person. And I think that these challenges are solvable, um, just, just hoping that people are actually working on the right ones.
0: Right. So, how do you, I mean, you're dealing with data and information all day. You know, you're writing these, these, these reports, you're putting yourself out there. um, But how do you kind of combat misinformation? Because I'm curious, even from my own research, right? How do I know what is uh, corporate limelight? What is real? What is not? How, How do you kind of fact check?
1: Yeah, it's really, I mean, it's it's tough, you're right. I mean, especially dealing with kind of corporate PR machines, um, but we always get on the phone with people. It's very, very important to be speaking with people. I think one of the um, issues in journalism or journalism is, as, is starting to be in many senses, is that people are just rewriting press releases, essentially, and putting that out as, as news. Um, so, every- yeah, everything needs to be kind of verified and confirmed and spoken with with the company, Um, You know, we're lucky because we are uh, industry experts, as it were. We have many different contacts um, in the space. If anything seems like it doesn't sound quite right, we've got so many people we can sense check with within our team, but then outside of our team, too. So, I think making sure that you are well acquainted with experts in your industry and people that you can go to to kind of verify um, facts or or ideas, I think that's really important. Uh, And then readers just need to be, you know, cautious. I mean, you know, I don't like to put the kind of responsibility on them, but I think there's just news is cheap, there's so much of it out there. I think readers just really need to be thinking about. Does the publication they're reading kind of align with their values or do they, you know, do they know know of the, the writers or the reporters? Have they got a good reputation? I mean, that's a lot of work, you know, but I think people start to get their preferences um for that so yeah i mean it's it's tricky uh, i wonder how things are going to play out with chat gpt because essentially you know you can get an article written with it and it will use sources from the internet uh, i know certainly when i've done any research on it it's great can be great as a starting point but absolutely needs to be verified because there could be all sorts of uh nonsense that's been pulled from like various articles or information sources on the internet
0: One thing I really like that you said, and I think um, we shouldn't skim over it, is I pick up the phone and I just talk to the people behind the information, right? And I think that really resonates with me because I think we live in such an era now where we sit in front of our screens and we consume what's on our screens. But what we forget nowadays, and I see this with the younger generation, is... You know, there's actually real people behind these screens, and I and building those real relationships, actually hearing their anecdotes, hearing the problems and the way they see the world, we will respond differently, right? And that plays back mm-hmm. into what we talked about earlier, cancel culture, even, right? If you well, it's easy to cancel someone behind the keyboard, the keyboard warrior, but if you meet that person, you hear, you know, why yeah. are you making this decision for your cows? Why are Thank you me. making this decision, right? Yeah.
1: And you can um. smell, you can smell BS. I mean, I you know I probably don't smell it as as much as others because <laughs> I'm generally sort of quite an innocent till proven guilty kind of person, which is not great for a journalist probably. But uh, you know, I know that my my colleagues Elaine and Jen are super hot on that sort of thing. And if you speak with someone, you can absolutely kind of get to the bottom of a matter much more easily than over email or in text. Mm. And and yes, again, you're absolutely right on the cancer culture thing. Uh, just writing someone back, you, you don't know who they are. So that would be actually one of the key, should have been one of my key kind of calling points for the articles, engage with people, actually speak with them, ask them questions. Uh, don't just outright deny what they're saying.
0: All right, well, what what are some final words you would kind of give the audience? I mean, you've had an amazing career in this industry. You've really kind of, uh, grown, I think, as a, as a person in this industry. Uh, you've made some right career decisions. I think being in this space, not everyone is even brave enough to be here. I mean, I'll be honest with you, Louisa, when you were talking about the kind of putting yourself out there, I had this moment when I decided to do this podcast where I was woke up at night and I was like, oh my gosh, what, what have I done? Who, what are people? <laughs> I'm going to get so much trolling and negative comp. That's why I haven't touched Twitter yet or X now,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, maybe
0: I should just give it some, some time just because um, it's yeah. tough to put yourself out there. And it's tough, like you said, everyone has their own opinion. They're coming from their own standpoints. Uh, it's tough to put yourself out there and, and kind of um, open <laughs> yourself to that scru- scruple. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, in the early days, actually, everyone was so welcoming because no one had called them up. No one was interested in what they were doing. Like the investment funds, I remember he called up in the early days. They were like, "What? You want to write an article about us?" So everyone was super welcoming, and it was really nice. And in the in the early days, it was all kind of high fives all around Whoa, what awesome! What are you doing in food and agriculture? Oh, awesome! I'm doing this and yada yada. So it's only recently that it's become this sort of this kind of food fight um, battle. But I would just say, you know, thanks to everyone that's read an article on Ag Fund and News, that's downloaded a report. Uh, we do it for you, and we hope it's still useful and I also just love getting feedback I mean the more that people can say this is absolute nonsense Louisa um the better you know that we can make sure we we do a better job next time so I do love feedback love engaging with everyone and um yeah it's just been a wild ride and long may it continue
0: so maybe uh you could just highlight where people can connect with you where they can find you
1: um so yeah, agfundernews.com is the new site. Uh, we have a newsletter, which goes out every Thursday that you should sign up to. Then there's agfunder.com is the VC site where you can see about our funds and our investments. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, although I don't really use that so much now, but I'm there. Um, so yeah, or just email me.
0: <laughs> Amazing. No, it's it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And there are definitely other topics you might have to unpack in another podcast. Um, but this has been a great conversation so far, and I think you've really enriched our listeners with some great insights.
1: Great. Thanks so much for having me. And no one trolls you, okay? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Warning. No
1: trolling. Yeah, I'll be off to you. Yeah.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by Tridge, the leading global intelligence and networking platform for agriculture. Visit us at www.tridge.com to find out more.